Well, who knows what chapter of the Bible we're talking from at the moment? The holy ones were very good. Romans 12, is that right? And a couple of weeks ago I, share, I was going to share from Ro- about Romans 12, 9, 10 and 11 and I only got up to 9. <laughs> I didn't get any further. And so today I'm hoping that we're going to do Romans 12, 10, 11 and 12. Do you reckon? Who, who reckons I can do it? Yeah? Got faith? Well, let's pray and then we'll get into it. Lord God, I thank you for your word, that it is a lamp unto our feet, it's a light to our path, that it guides us and leads us. And, and not just that, it strengthens us, it binds us, it, it, it equips us for everything you have for us. And I pray that your word would just speak into our lives, it would renew our mind today and transform our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, I shared from Romans 12, well, that's only Romans 12, 9, not 9 to 11, but it says there, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, and cling to what is good. And I shared about the fact that Romans 12, leading up to this point, to verse 9, was, was talking about this new life that God had given to us. And now from verse 9, it starts to practically explain how we are to live out this new life that God has given us. And it very simply starts with these words uh, uh, that say, the first thing God tells us to say is to love, your love must be sincere. That our love as Christians, as followers of God, as, as we know as living sacrifices, the first and foremost thing that God commands us is that our love must be sincere. Another translation says, love without hypocrisy. As I explained the other week, this, this sincere love is actually talking about loving without a mask. So it's genuine, free from deceit, authentic, undisguised. And most importantly, it's talking about the fact that a Christian's loving behavior is not acting apart we don't do it uh, like actors on a stage and then get off the stage and stop loving sincerely but it is to be a authentic expression of our renewed mind and our transformed life now if you remember i shared jesus command in john 13 which says that we are to love one another as jesus has loved us And the reason we can love sincerely and authentically and without a mask is because we need to understand first and foremost that we are loved by God. Jesus says, love one another, how? As I have loved you. So we need to remember that we are loved. Can you hear that? Maybe say that with me. I am loved. Say it with conviction this time. I am loved. This is the reality because the command of God is then that we would love one another as he has loved us. How has he loved us? He has loved us without a mask. He has loved us authentically. He he has not held anything back. He has loved us without restriction. 
And this means that I can love you no matter how you would treat me because it doesn't change the truth that I am loved. Do you hear that? I can love you and it doesn't matter how you treat me. You can even reject me, but I will still love you because it doesn't change the truth that I am loved, that I am valued, that I am accepted, and most significantly, that I am worthy. Now, too often we are afraid to love without a mask because we fear rejection. It's a reality in life, it's true, but sincere love, loving without a mask, is not about our feelings and it's all about the fact that God loves us and that we are called to love others without restriction and holding nothing back and as I shared the only way we can do this is by following the next part of Romans 9 which says that we had to hate evil and cling to what is good now we this idea of hating evil is this idea of fleeing evil, of getting away from it. Now, it's like the idea, the thought I had during the week is there is a food that I hate and my mum fed it to me when I was a child and it was something called tripe. <laughs> Has anyone eaten tripe? Now, in... And even just saying the word, the juices in my mouth start to, like, I start to repel. I start to, it triggers something in me of I want to run away as far, I don't even want to talk about tripe. I want to get away from it. And this is the idea of what God is saying is the way we can love genuinely and without a mask is that we get away from anything that is evil and cling to what is good. So, anything that is evil is anything where God's love isn't and yes that's horrible gross terrible things that happen in our world and we get away from that but it's also God's love isn't in things like selfishness and self-centeredness it's not in the me 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 mentality and so we need to get away from that and the way we do it is by not trying our hardest to be good and and trying our hardest not to do the wrong thing. No, the way we do it is by running to what is good and we sang it this morning, is that we would run to Jesus and cling to him. And the idea in that verse is not just like holding hands, it's like holding on to him like he's a life boy and you're going to drown if you let go. It's clinging, it's being glued to Jesus. It's sticking to him as close as he can. And this is, this is the idea that we will never overcome evil by focusing on evil. The only way we will overcome evil in our lives is by putting all our energy and focus into knowing and being close to Jesus. I loved what Chris shared this morning around communion because it was along exactly what I wanted to share today. And this idea, and it's a recurring theme all through this chapter of Romans, that the, the key is for us to hold on to God, to know God, to cling to God, to, to make him our full focus. And, and so that's what we talked about in the last fortnight ago. But today we're going to go into verse 10, which he, Paul now gives us a very practical way 
that we can hate evil and cling to what is good. He gives us a very practical way that we can love without a mask. And it says there in verse 10, Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Sounds good, doesn't it? Let me read it to you in the Amplified. It says, Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family, giving precedence and showing honour to one another. Now, it's really interesting that this love that it's talking about now is not the agape love that we often talk about. It's actually a combination of two other Greek words for love. A, a word storge and a, a word phile. And this, this word, when they're combined together, is describing the love that occurs in families. A, and even we read, we've talked a lot about one another's, but we see that there's these two one another's that we're called to do, and it's describing the, one an, the type of love that happens in a family. So what God is trying to help us understand is that church is family. That church is not a social club, it's not a gathering once a week, but we are a part of his family. You think about it, when I was a, a kid and growing up in my family, like I could say all sort of horrible things to my sister and, um, and be mean to her and do whatever, but if one of my friends tried to say something wrong about my sister, I would let them have it. Isn't that right? That, that's the idea of honouring someone else above yourself. That Even though I might necessarily might agree with them in my mind, but I'm going to protect them <laughs> as hard as I can. Does that make sense? And this is what God is calling us in the body to do. Farah um, the theologian says, when he translates his verse, he says, Love the brethren in faith, in the faith, as though they were brethren in blood. So there's, there's no such thing in God's kingdom to say blood is thicker than water because we're all family. So your family is the church. And I'm not talking about Sunday services, I'm talking about everyday church. And, you know, church is a great place that we do gather once a week together. And, and whether we gather on a Wednesday night as well or in grow groups or youth group or all those things. And we can have nice relationships and we can talk about the football and we can talk about, our, you know, what happened during the week. And it's all nice and, and good. But in the New Testament, when it talked about church fellowship, it was much, much deeper than that. They weren't just merely socialising. They lived life together. Their fellowship was deep and really meaningful. That real church happens is when we consider how we can actually lift one another up. When we actually do prefer one above ourselves. When we think of how can I lift my brother up? How can I encourage him? How can I stir him up? Or my sister, how can I help her be the best person she can be? And this is what, what God is calling us to. It's like in our families, in our natural families as parents, we're thinking how can I help my children be the best children they can be? 
And that's why parents drive their kids all over the place to play sport or different things, do dance, whatever, because they're wanting their kids to have the best life they can have. And as a church, we're called to that sort of connection, that we would want to see the members of our family, our church family, be the best people they can be. And the idea, as, as the Amplified Bible shows us, is that we would give precedence to others. And this idea is when we live like this, the idea is that the whole body benefits, including ourselves. So if I want the best for you and I will give you precedence and help you be the best person you can be, everyone benefits from that. But the reality is I also become a better person because of that. Does that make sense? So if we're looking to help others and to support others and to encourage and build others up, Yes, it takes a sacrifice from us to give up our time and our effort and, and to you know, maybe invite someone around for dinner or go out for a coffee with someone or uh, spend time with someone. But in that sacrifice, yes, you help the other person feel encouraged and lifted up and become a better person. But at the same time, it's reciprocal because you become a better person because of it. There's actually a Greek word for that, alalon which actually describes this reciprocal relationship where we both help each other get better. Isn't that cool? And this is the type of, of life that God is calling us to. This is what it means to be a living sacrifice. This is what it means to love without a mask, to, get, to lay our lives down for one another. And then the next verse, so I'm, I'm making good time here, the next verse is verse 11, which says, Never lagging behind in diligence, this is from the Amplified Translation, a glow in the Spirit and enthusiastically serving the Lord. Now, on, on surface value, we see that as, oh, we need to do this with all our might. We need to do it with all our energy. And, and it's this idea that to live as a living sacrifice, we need to give it our full attention. You see, following Jesus is not a hobby. It's not a pastime. It's not something we do in our spare time. It's a lifestyle that we need to be fully engaged in. The easiest way I can explain that in my head is like consider an AFL footballer or a sports person. Their life is what they do. They are fully committed to it. They change their diet. They, they change their schedule. They, they do everything in their life revolves around them playing that sport. And in the same way, what God is saying to us is that our life, we need to be fully engaged with God. It's a lifestyle that we're called to live. It's, it's not just something we do on Sundays. It's not just something we do when we go to grow group or to pop up on a Wednesday night. It is our life. And this is the exciting thing, is that God has given us everything we need to live this life for Him. And the you say, well, what are those things? Well, very simply, Jesus said it this way, I must go so I can send the Holy Spirit to help you. And so Jesus has actually given us himself to help us live this life. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as our comforter, our advocate, our intercessor, our counsellor, our strengthener, our standby, and most importantly, our helper. This is the Holy Spirit 
that God has given to us at salvation. You know, the, the problem for many of us in our Christian faith is we love this idea of following Jesus because we can see Jesus, we read about Jesus and like, okay, I can take up my cross and follow him. But for many of us, we fail to understand the significance of the fact that Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit and we, we struggle to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. We fail to, to remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit is in me and within me and is available to me every moment of the day. And we just keep trying to live this Christian walk in our own strength, in our own might, forgetting that we have the Holy Spirit. I think we need to grab hold of this and and remember to invite the Holy Spirit into everything we do. As a pastor, you might go, oh, you're so holy or whatever. But when I catch up with you guys and, and we sit and talk, so often I'm, I'm like going, I don't know what to say to this person. When I listen to your struggles and your difficulties and your challenges, and inside of me I'm just saying, Holy Spirit, give me the words to say. Help me with this. And let me ask you this question. And I don't ask it to be judgmental or condemnatory. I ask it to just make you think about it. But how have you seen the Holy Spirit work in your life this week? Have you invited the Holy Spirit to help you this week? Have you actually included him in your life? Because God has given you the Holy Spirit. And in this verse where it says, a glow in the Spirit, it's talking about that we would be a glow in the Spirit. You know what the actual imagery is that the original language says? It's like a pot of stew bubbling. And what God is saying is, you need to keep the pot bubbling. Don't let it cool down. Don't let it go bad just keep it bubbling keep your relationship with the holy spirit a priority in your life keep inviting him to help you keep allowing him to fill you more and more and to keep you bubbling another way another verse in the bible where it's got this idea is the idea of the difference between being lukewarm and hot and god is saying stay hot Keep hot and, uh, and keep sowing into the Holy Spirit. Now, in Galatians 5, Paul describes how we do this as in walking in the Spirit. If you look at Galatians 5, it talks about there's a war between our flesh and our spirit. And, and if we feed our flesh, we will give in to all sorts of terrible things. But if we feed our spirit and walk in the Spirit, the, the result is the fruit of of the spirit now when i read the fruit of the spirit it comes back to this again it reminds me of the character and the nature of jesus and so when we are walking in the spirit and i'll just say this one of the roles of the holy spirit that jesus sent him to be with us one of his jobs is to reveal jesus to us that's what he does and so when we walk in the Spirit, it's interesting that we would produce the fruits of the Spirit. 
which are the nature and character of Jesus himself. The fruits of the Spirit, it says here, but the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That they have crucified the flesh. Sounds like a living sacrifice, doesn't it? That we would give our lives to God. That we would lay our lives at his feet and say, God, do with my life what you would want to do. I'm available to serve you however you want. Not in my strength, but in the power of your Holy Spirit. This is what God's called us to. This is the exciting thing. It's, you know, never lagging in diligence, a glow in the Spirit, enthusiastically serving the Lord. It's not, it's not about, like, what am I doing for God here, there, and everything. Enthusiastically serving in the Lord is, oops, is walking in the Spirit, getting in step with the Holy Spirit, staying in step with Him, walking alongside Him, making your priority to say, Holy Spirit, Guide my feet today, guide my steps, help me to live a life that is boiling with you, that is full of you, that is full of your strength and your enabling, not doing it in my own strength. And then in verse 12, here's the exciting thing, it then makes this incredible statement which shows us the reality of what it looks like to be full of the Holy Spirit and what it looks like to, to be bubbling with him and but it also shows us what it looks like to express the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because all of a sudden Paul makes this statement. And just out of nowhere he says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And if, you, if you're following this with me, what he's saying, there are literally three fruits of the Spirit right there. Joy, patience, and faithfulness. So all of a sudden, he's saying, when we're aglow with the Spirit, when we're walking with the Spirit, we are producing the fruits of the Spirit. But what are we, when are we producing them? We're producing them in hope. We're producing them in affliction. Oh, affliction. Do you get that word? Is affliction nice and like rainbows and unicorns and all of that stuff? Affliction's the hard stuff in life and in prayer. And so this, this passage, this statement is actually showing us very clearly that the things we find ourselves in life have the ability to produce the fruits of the Spirit if we would let them. And I don't know where you find yourself in today. Maybe you're in a place of hope and that's good and, and it is producing joy. You're believing and you're, you're standing firm or maybe you are in a place of affliction and you're like going, I don't know how I'm going to cope with this. Or maybe you're in this place of prayer. What you, we need to understand, all these experiences and situations, we need to remember have the potential to produce fruit in our lives. Romans 12.12 12 is explaining these types of environments that the Holy Spirit works in. The environment that you are in right now is an environment that the Holy Spirit can work in. 
to produce fruit in our lives. You see, if you're in, a, in an environment of hope, it has the potential to produce joy. If you're in an environment of affliction, it has the potential to produce patience. And if you're in the environment of prayer, prayer can produce faithfulness in our lives. And this is really important for us to understand because the beauty and the attractiveness of the Christian existence to the world around us is not seen in the things we do, but it's seen in the fruits that we express. Think of that. People don't just see the things you do, but they see the heart behind it. They see the fruit behind it. And wouldn't it be great that our fruit would be love, joy, peace, patience, and that people see our lives filled with those things and they go, I need that in my life. How do I get it? Let's have a look at this verse 12 a bit deeper. I want to just see what these different things mean a bit more, these fruits. The first one is hope, and hope exists to produce joy in our lives. As Christians, the hope we find ourselves in is the hope known as Jesus. Let me read it to you in 1 Timothy 1.1. It says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Saviour, and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, who gives us hope. The hope that gives us joy is called Jesus. This recurring theme brings us back to Jesus. What's the Holy Spirit's job? To reveal Jesus. The hope we have is Jesus and everything he has done for us. Let me say it like this. Our hope is that Jesus has done it all for us. I say that. I want you to get a hold of that. Our hope is that Jesus has done it all for us. You see, our hope is in his righteousness that has made us righteous. Our hope is in his sacrifice that has given us the forgiveness of sins. Our hope is in his promise of eternal life. Our hope is in his victory that he has won over sin and death. Our hope is in the fact that he has called us into his family as brothers and sisters and given us the inheritance to be co-heirs with him in Christ. This is the hope that we have. The hope is Jesus. And the joy that it gives us is a joy that cannot be contained. It will flow out into every part of our lives. And this joy is not based on what we can do for Jesus. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. That he has done it all. This, this hope is not based on us feeling good and, and nice and happy. But it's based on the actions of Jesus. Do we understand this hope that we are now in as followers of Jesus? This hope that gives us security. This hope that gives us eternal security. This hope that gives us a purpose to living. This hope that makes us right before God so that there is no barrier any longer between us and God. Where we can walk boldly into the throne room 
like sons and daughters and, and connect with God. This is the hope we have, the hope we are now in. And when we understand what we have now in Jesus, it will bring joy to your life. It will transform your life. This hope that we are loved, accepted and valued and worthy. This is the hope that can't be contained. And, I, and this is the hope that God wants you to live in. A reminder of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Amen? The next one is that afflictions exist to, give, to produce patience in our lives. I don't know if you remember this one, but there's the old saying that smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. Like that one? Like that one, Bill? Smooth seas never made. A good sailor has experienced rough seas. And in James 1, 3 and 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith does what? Produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete and lacking nothing. I'm sad to say the modern church has fallen for this doctrine of prosperity that says, you, you know, if you have God, everything in your life is going to be perfect and blessed and you're going to have everything you need. Well, that's not the gospel. And, and then they go on, well, if you haven't got everything you need, then you must be doing something wrong. And they put you under that condemnation. But the reality is God is everything we need. And it means that it doesn't matter where we find ourselves, we have God with us. And so afflictions will happen. I'm not going to stand up here and say that if you have Jesus in your life, nothing's ever going to go wrong. The Bible's very clear. The rain falls on the just and the unjust the same. As long as we're in this sinful world, this broken world, bad things are going to happen. But let us remember that the ground of affliction is actually has the potential to produce something that is more valuable than anything else. Patience. Patience. Do we understand the importance of patience? Patience is a resource that God values more than the stuff you have or the offering you can put in the offering box up the back there. Patience is the greatest resource we can learn to develop or allow the Holy Spirit to grow in our lives. Patience is simply the ability to hold on to God no matter what life throws at you. Because that's what it means to be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Paul said it this way, I've had, lack, I've had gain and I've had lack, but I count it all rubbish compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ. And that's patience, is holding on to Christ no matter what. Jesus described it in the parable of the storm. And he, he basically tells us storms of life are inevitable. But the outcome of the storm depends on the foundation we build on. When we build on the rock, or in other words, the hope that is Jesus that I've just talked about, we will stand firm and we will patiently endure until it passes, trusting Jesus, and we will survive. 
But if we build on the sand and our own strength, the reality is it will collapse and we will give in and it will cave in. But God wants us to know that the affliction is not the issue. The affliction is just ground the Holy Spirit can use to produce fruit in your life and bring patience so that you can endure and know God even greater. And the last one in closing is prayer. Prayer exists to produce faithfulness in our life. People who are faithful and consistent in prayer will develop faithfulness to God and will keep their faith strong no matter what life throws at them. Now faithfulness is only possible when we, when we truly know the person we are faithful to. I'll use that example of marriage. Faithfulness in marriage is only possible when we pursue intimacy with each other. The reality is if I don't spend time sowing into my relationship with Julie and knowing her and, and actually believing there is still, after 30 years, still believing that I haven't discovered everything I need to know about her, because sometimes when we get older and we've been married for a while, there's nothing new that Julie could teach me or show me. But the reality is I'm a fool if I think that. <laughs> and trust me, there are still things I'm learning. But the reality is if I don't see my relationship with her like that, then my ability to stay faithful for her is actually threatened. Because if I think I know everything I need to know about Julie, then I'll go looking elsewhere to find out stuff from other people. Isn't that right? It's the reality. But the key to faithfulness is always knowing that there's still more to know about God. And prayer is the way we get to know God, the way we communicate with him, the way we connect with him. And it's, it's more than just locking yourself in a room and praying or reading your Bible. They're all, they are ways we pray, but even our, the way we live life, the Bible says, is a prayer to God. That we would live our lives in honour to God, that when we're doing that, we're praying. That's the idea of praying without ceasing, living your life. And, uh, and as we become more intimate with him, then the more faithful we will be to him. Does that make sense? The closer and the more we know him and want to know him, the more faithful we will become to him. Because you realize how valuable that relationship is. Like my, my understanding now 30 years into marriage is there's still more to learn about Jesus, Julie, not Jesus, Julie. Sometimes she thinks she's Jesus, but that's enough. <laughs> No, sometimes she is Jesus to me because she has to remind me of my faults. But, um, but, uh, but the reality is the more, the more intimate I become with, him, with her, the more I want to know her, the more I want to spend time with her, the more faithful I become, more committed I become to her. And it's the same with God. The more we see him in our lives and want to know him and grow closer to him, the more faithful we will come to him. I'm just going to close with this story from the Bible. And I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but 
In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable of the servants or the talents. And I'll just give you a quick rundown. You've, most of you probably read it, but this, this story, Jesus says there was a master who decided to go on a journey. And it's really interesting if you read it. It says there he came and brought three, three of his servants to them and he gave them everything he had. He distributed to them appropriately according to their ability. So he actually gave them and sometimes you read this thing and you think, why was the master so strong at the end? Is Because he actually gave them everything he had. And to one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to the final one he gave one. So that was, that was his whole wealth. Everything he had he gave to them. And he said, and he left, and it says that, the one with five talents doubled it, went to work straight away and doubled it. And the one with two did the same thing. You heard what the master had said. And so they took the master's, what the master had given them and they used it to the best of their ability and they doubled what they had. One grew it to ten, then another to four. But then the last one decided to just bury the talent and leave it there and wait till the master came back. And then really interestingly... In verse 23, the master does come back and he says to the two servants who doubled, they came to him and said, look, we've doubled what you gave us. And he says to them these powerful words, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Notice there, he doesn't say well done, good and fruitful servant doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he comes to the last servant who says, I buried it because I was afraid. I knew, know you're a hard man, so I was afraid, so I didn't want to lose it. And so here it is. And I don't, I don't know why this servant would have done that. Maybe he was genuinely afraid. Maybe he could have even been upset at the master because... He only gave him one talent when he thought, I've got more than one. I've got more ability than that. He's only given me, I don't know. But the one thing we do know from what he says to him is he doesn't, he actually thought the master was someone that he wasn't. Because he goes, you were a hard man and you do this and you do that. And so I buried it. And the master called him out and says, you're lazy. Yeah, if, if you were true about that, at least you would have put it in a bank where it could earn interest. But rather, you just, the, the inheritance I gave you, the, my wealth, my personal wealth that I gave you, you just buried it and did nothing with it. That's a powerful lesson for us. That God has given us all this resource. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us inheritance in his kingdom. He's, the gifts of the Spirit are available to us. The fruits of the Spirit are ours as we walk with him. And there's the challenge there. And this is where prayer comes into it. That the faithful servants listened to the master. They heard what he was saying. They realized what he was giving them. And so they knew they had to do something with it. They couldn't just sit on it. So they knew their master, they heard what he was asking, and they did what he was asking. And this is the thing about prayer. 
The purpose of prayer in our lives is to know God. The purpose of, our, of prayer in our lives is to hear his voice. But most significantly, the purpose of prayer in our lives is to obey what he says. Prayer happens, yes, by getting alone with God and, and talking to God and spending time with God. But at the same time, prayer is pointless if it doesn't affect the way we live our lives. I'll say that again. Prayer is pointless if it doesn't affect the way we live our lives. And that means that prayer without obedience is just words. That when we pray, the truth is God is always wanting to communicate with us. God is always talking to us. And when we hear his voice, we need to obey what he asks us to do. And so I want to leave you with this thought. One of his greatest commands, we've read a lot lately, but in John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. We talk about prayer. Right now is a moment of prayer. It's a moment of connecting with God right now and here as you read his word. And Jesus' command to us is that we would love one another how? As I have loved you. Without a mask, unlimited, holding nothing back. And this is God's word. So let me say this. This is our challenge. Because we could pray till the cows come home, but until we obey this simple command... We're like the lazy servant who just buries their talent in the ground and doesn't do what the master actually asks of them. Let's pray. Before we go into prayer, just keep your heads bowed. But as Matt shared earlier, it's never too late. And uh, it's never too late to connect with God and it's never too late to reacquaint yourself with God. And I think before we pray anything, there might be some people here today that you, you go, well, I, my pot is not boiling I'm not a glow in the spirit. I'm, I've let, I've taken for granted what God has given me. I feel a little bit like the lazy servant. And it, the great thing about God is it doesn't change his love for you. His love is the same. And he's always available like the prodigal son who came home. He's always wanting to restore and receive. And so right now before we pray, if you're in that space and, and you say, that's me, I want to recommit myself to this life of loving genuinely, loving sincerely, loving without a mask. I want to commit to allowing prayer to produce faithfulness in my life. I want to commit to 
giving my whole life to God and being a living sacrifice. As I'm about to pray, I'd just ask you to put your hand on your heart as I pray. And I'm just going to pray a prayer to believe that this would be a new beginning and a new start for many of us here. So if that's you, just put your hand on your heart and we'll pray. Lord God, I thank you for this amazing group of people. I thank you for who they are and that they are loved. They are loved by you. They are valued, they are accepted and they are worthy of your love because they're created in your image. And yes, sin breaks us down and sin damages us but you paid the price for sin on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you again. And today, God, we come to you and we repent. We say, forgive us. We say sorry for not putting you first. We say sorry for not making you a priority. We say sorry for not keeping the pot boiling. Lord God, and we pray and we come to you and say, help us. Help us obey your commands. Even the most simple command that you gave us to love one another as you have loved us. Lord, let that be the truth of who we are in our commitment, not just to you, but also our commitment to one another. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your love. And I pray, let it bring forth great fruit in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. God bless you. We've got the coffee machine on. It's boiling away. Don't forget, if you want to help it pop up, see Matt if you want to help at all. Um, youth group starts on Friday night as well. The hub on Saturday for the ladies. And, uh, and just take the opportunity to take a step of faith and love someone this week, one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and build them up and encourage them. Amen? Awesome. Have a great week. God bless.